Welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This first series of Surroundscapes is focused on the future of hospitality and retail, a sector of the market in which Blue Sound Professional is most active and a market sector hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like to introduce an old friend of mine, Julian Treasure from the Sound Agency. Julian's talking to us from the islands of uh, north of Scotland, and he has done groundbreaking work on the concept of sound in business, not sound equipment, not a particular installation, but just the sense of sound and how we use that in business. I first met Julian about 10 years ago at a TED conference, and we've worked together since then on a variety of projects. And it's great to be talking to you again, Julian. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here. Great. Can you start by telling us a little bit about what you do in the Sound Agency and Mood Sonic? Sure. Well, the Sound Agency, uh, I started it back in 2003, so 17 years ago now. And it exists to ask and answer the question, how does your brand sound? And a lot of brands will have a book. Anybody running a brand listening to this, I can ask you the question, do you have a brand book? And there's nods going on. How many pages are about sound? Almost universally, the answer to that is none. So brands think a lot about how they look. They think and spend very little on how they sound. And that's interesting because we experience the world in five senses, not just one. And the way sound affects the outcomes for brands is we've shown over the years to be very powerful indeed. It's a very big mistake to ignore sound. You end up with experiences where the sound is working against the eyes or with inconsistencies. And to me, any great brand is about consistency and powerful experience, delivering the experience you promise and so forth. So that's what the sound agency has been doing for a long time, ended up specializing actually in sound in physical spaces. There's lots of audio branding companies around the world who are kind of, they've moved a little bit up the food chain from being jingle producers. And they're now talking about producing sonic logos and brand music. Well, we do that stuff too, but really our speciality is something a bit different, which is looking at and designing the overall sound experience in spaces like airports, shopping malls, hotels, and now also offices. And uh, we've formalized the technology that we developed over the last 17 years, which is generative sound. That is to say sound that's created live in real time by computer. It's algorithmic, uh, probabilistic, uh, so it's not recorded. And we've now formalized that under the brand Moodsonic. And uh, we've launched that really now to help people in offices, because we've now understood that in offices, well-being and productivity are both very compromised by the sound. I mean, noise is the number one complaint in modern urban plan offices when we get back to work. And also, of course, in healthcare facilities where noise is a total disaster. So that's what Moodsonic is doing. And uh, so the sound agency has its own existence with audio branding off the soundagency.com. Moodsonic is a brand of the sound agency at moodsonic.com and is doing really exciting things with generative sound, specifically and particularly for offices and healthcare facilities. Thanks for that. And and you yeah, that really did a good job of explaining how you differ from the other people that, as you say, produce um, sonic logos and assets for companies because I've seen over the last 10 years that you really look at it from first principles and, and holistically. That really, um, I think, is a differentiator. In talking about Moodsonic, we do have Evan Benway from Moodsonic in a future episode of Surroundscapes talking specifically about the biophilic sound masking um, algorithms that Moodsonic is in the forefront of generating. Mm. You mentioned multi-sensory um, experiences, and I, and I really believe the key to experiences, delightful immersive experiences, is as many of the senses as we can engage. 
But we have a problem, particularly now in this, this time of pandemic, in that some of our senses are no longer safe. So the sense of touch is no longer mm. a safe sense. The sense mm. of smell with airborne transmission is no longer a safe sense. The sense of taste may not even be safe, depending on the precautions taken. And really, that just leaves two senses. That leaves our sense of sight and our sense of sound. And mm. Julian, you and I work in an industry called the audio-video industry, and it just seems to me it's it's a unique time for our industry in that the two senses we really focus on are the two safe senses at the moment. I agree with that. Nothing to be cheerful about, I suppose. But on the other hand, there are winners that are emerging from the terrible COVID um, infestation of our planet. I mean, Zoom is the most obvious huge winner. Um, video conferencing, I mean, I keep getting asked to do webinars about communication through video conferencing because it's become the new norm. And I honestly don't think we'll go back to where we were before uh, with people flying around to have one hour meetings and, you know, taking a day to get there and a day to get back and spending hundreds or thousands of dollars and untold amounts of carbon on doing something that they can, they've now realized they can do really quite well uh, by sitting in front of a computer and just walking from their kitchen to their office. So I don't think we'll ever quite go back to where we were. Not to say that, you know, conferences and exhibitions will disappear altogether because there's still clearly a huge value in meeting people. I mean, one of the reasons people will be going back to work, I think, is simply serendipity. You know, I've been running a virtual company for five years. We have people all over the world and we meet on Slack and Zoom and so forth. But we miss something. You know, you do. Uh, you miss the proverbial water cooler conversation where a bit of serendipitous gossip or chat suddenly gives somebody an idea and they go off and create something that then makes the company millions of dollars. Well, you know, that's real. That does happen. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen so much when you're entirely virtual. So, you know, there is stuff there which I think we will reclaim with physical meetings and offices will continue. They're important places. Quite apart from anything else, you know, the idealistic painting of everybody working from home in a beautiful, serene place. Well, it's, uh, not, not really, not when you've got kids and dogs and, you know, all the rest of it going on. It can be extremely distracting and noisy and difficult to work from home. And there are a lot of people who are absolutely dying to get back to the office because they can't think and they can't work and, you know, they've just had enough of it. So, you know, I think we, we will move some way back to where we were, but it won't be the whole way. And yet audio and visual are going to be such a key component of the way we communicate, which, you know, I have to say I rejoice about in some degree because, you know, I've been talking for a long time about the importance of speaking and listening, the fact that we don't teach those things in school, the fact we're supposed to just pick them up. And they're so fundamental in determining our outcomes in life. And we will be using those a great deal more. But how are we going to use them? You know, if everybody's video conferencing in an office, they will have to be rules. Otherwise, people are going to get murderously angry with each other, overhearing confidential conversations, bellowing into computers when somebody's sitting next to you trying to work. You know, there are going to be things to discover and there will be etiquette to devise and design, won't there? There'll be different acoustics in, you know, the office of the future. Less people, perhaps, but that implies using spaces we weren't going to use. I mean, I've seen lots of stuff about schools, for example, uh, moving classrooms into sports halls or dining areas or whatever it might be so that they can achieve the kind of dispersion they've got to achieve. Uh, well, there are big sound issues with doing that, aren't there? Never, never designed for teaching, for ped pedagogy, for uh, people listening to people. And that means we've got to pay a lot of attention to the acoustics. All the low down surfaces are going to have to be hard because they have to be cleaned every five minutes for the time being. Um, well, that's got acoustic implications as well, because sound will bounce around. You can't have soft furnishings in the way we used to, perhaps. Uh, we, we might have perspex uh, or acrylic screens in between people. That's going to bounce sound right back at us. I mean, you're a drummer too. I've got no hearing over 15 kilohertz because of 
playing drums behind Perspex bloody screens for years. And that, you know, you hit a cymbal and it splashes right back at you and you get the full force of that sound. Well, that's not going to be much fun in offices. So we've got to pay attention to all of these new things and think very carefully about the oral environment that we're going to be creating. I think there are some challenges there that people are going to encounter in the coming weeks. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how they overcome them. It will, yeah. I haven't been brave enough to have my hearing tested, but I'm pretty sure that that's, uh, my my high end has rolled off like like yours has for, for very mm. much the same reasons. You talked about some things that were interesting there about essentially some trends are being accelerated. So, uh, you know, trends from buying and and being in brick and mortar establishments to buying online from being in offices to interacting distantly both you and I even before this worked in home offices and and had kind of virtual companies but this has become the reality to everyone to me it's really interesting to see these trends accelerated and you you also mentioned something about people not going and spending a lot of time, a lot of money, and probably most importantly, a lot of natural resources on one-hour meetings. How do you feel about this concept of the world's had something of a pause for the last few months, and we get the opportunity to go back more mindfully, maybe? Do you think we're going to do that, or do you think we're just going to rush back and do things the same way we did them before? Well, yes, history would tend to indicate the latter, but I do think there are going to be some requirements for change. In the sound agency's Moodsonic product line, we've just released a a soundscape called Reassurance because we've been thinking very deeply about people going back to work. And it it occurred to me, really, that, that there is going to be an undercurrent of fear, not for everybody, but for a lot of people. I know a lot of people who don't want to leave their homes very much now. I mean, we've been locked down for so long. We have a holiday booked in a couple of weeks, and my five-year-old daughter is pretty reluctant, actually, uh, because she now likes being here. This is where she feels safe, at home. And I think that's true for not just her, but, you know, millions and millions of people who got used to the safety and security of, you know, the little bunker that we've created, our little nest. And venturing out is much more of a scary adventure than perhaps it would have been six months ago. Also, of course, there is a genuine fear of the disease. I think the number uh, is that 40% of patients in America are delaying going to their doctor because they're scared of getting sick there. Well, that's a huge change in behavior that we're seeing. And, uh, you know, you've also seen the whole two meter social distancing thing. Um, So it's it's there all around you. You see it everywhere. Hand sanitizers, masks now. I don't know about in America, but in Scotland, you are legally obliged to wear a mask in a shop now. Um, so everybody's going around looking like bandidos. It's a different world. It's visually a different world. And it's a scary world. It reminds you of your mortality every five minutes. So going back to the office, I think, is something that a lot of people do feel uneasy about getting back into close proximity with other human beings is not without consequence now. So we've created this soundscape, which combines a lot of sounds that are designed to be associated or to to raise associations of cleanliness. I mean, offices can be cleaned regularly, but unfortunately, you can't see that, can you? So the idea is the soundscape communicates cleanliness, which, of course, we can do with sounds like running water, which is you know symbolically associated with uh, purity, washing, it's what we wash in, and so forth. Um, and then we've got sounds like birdsong in there, which um, tend to make people feel reassured. You know, we've, we've been waking up to the birds for hundreds of thousands of years. They've been here a lot longer than we have, actually. And uh, most of us feel that when the bird happily singing, we are secure and safe. So it's, it's that kind of association some gentle uh, musical elements, which are the kinds of music that are associated with kindness or uh, compassion and so forth. So these kind of things mixed in with various other things to create a soundscape which is designed to uh, give a feeling of security or you know, just to reduce stress a little bit. Uh, we've done that in airports lots of times. We've had soundscapes go into um, Helsinki Airport, for example, 
uh, in the, um, the the security area, which is a stressful area. I hate that bit. I don't know about you. It doesn't matter how many times you travel, but you know the people look at you and you're going, "Have I done something wrong? Am I legal?" Sure. So the in those areas. Uh, we put in soundscapes which have been shown to reduce stress levels and improve people's satisfaction and happiness and so forth. So this works, you know, it's important. And I think that's just one of many aspects of the new normal, as they call it, which are going to be a bit different. And certainly the way offices look is going to be different for the foreseeable future. I mean, two metres or a metre between desks, um, people not wanting to go too close to people, people wearing masks and so on and so forth. It's going to look a very different thing. And density is certainly going to be dramatically reduced with enormous economic impact. I mean, we've seen that already in the UK with into huge shopping mall uh, conglomerate going bust. Mm-hmm. We're going to see it, I think, with a lot of property companies really struggling uh, because they can't be charging the rent they were charging for an office that's now occupied by a third of the people it was. So the price per meter of real estate, whether it's commercial property or retail property, well, that's a big issue and there's a big economic uh, issue to solve there. So it's not going to be the same as it was, even if we all pretend it was. It, it, it is. I think there will be significant differences. Yes, I think you're right, um, and I, I do want to stay on the offices just for a minute, even though this this particular series of soundscapes is is focused really on hospitality and retail. But I have a, a friend, a German consultant called Bernd Schindler, who will feature on a, a later episode, who has this theory that the new workplace is the new hospitality, because in the old days, you got a job, you came to an office. That was kind of the contract that you had. And no one really thought about that. But in the last few months, we've got used to working in home offices. And as you say, sometimes that's stressful if you have kids and dogs and and not a lot of space. But for some people, it's fantastic. It allows focus. It allows you to get a lot of work done. It can be pretty quiet if you want it to be pretty quiet and you have the space. And I think people are going to have to sort of be enticed back into the office again. As you say, mm-hmm. there's, there's these feelings of fear. But also, I enjoyed working at home. I didn't have to commute. Um, mm-hmm. I saved all this time. So there's there's then the, why should I come back into an office? And as you say, if only a third of the people or half of the people are going to be in the office, then video conferencing is going to be a reality even after we come back because half of the people won't be there or, or two-thirds Very of the much people. So. so it's going to be interesting yeah. to see how this blend of, of hospitality and the workplace in the sense of, of, in the same way as we have to entice people back into restaurants and shopping malls and hotels, may have to mm. entice people back into the office again. Oh, yes, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I earlier when I was talking about people dying to get back to the office that's a, you know that's a chunk of people but there'll be lots and lots of other people who will be very very reluctant uh, you know a, a, an hour and a half's commute on a crowded train well how crowded will that be now i don't know uh, or you know not enough trains given social distance i mean there are all sorts of problems with with commuting and then you know going into an office where there's barely anybody there well yes there are going to be a lot of people are pretty reluctant, and I absolutely agree that we need to be paying great attention to what the office can offer, what facilities, what experiences can the office offer. And we've been talking for quite a long time at Mood Sonic about the importance of you know, sound in the office. I've done lots and lots of work with uh, my friends over the Atlantic at Armstrong Ceilings. Um, over the years about the importance of good acoustics in the office, mm-hmm. absorbing sound, blocking sound, so that you have some privacy, so that you don't have excessive speech intelligibility, and you don't also have people working in 65 decibels, which long-term is damaging, really damaging to the health. So we have to think about these things very carefully, not just sound, but I would say also to the other senses that you you mentioned we might need to engage them too. You know, biophilia can do wonderful things in terms of creating 
sensations in an office which are beautiful, using plants, using natural waterfalls, whatever it might be. There's all sorts of ways that we can make the office a, a captivating and magical place to go, a place where it's perhaps facilitating serendipity. I mean, maybe that will come front and centre. Maybe that's the main point of going in there is to have meetings with people. As you say, it becomes hospitality almost. Um, mm. You can have meetings with clients. You can have meetings with colleagues where you know, you're in a, a place that really stimulates ideas or collaboration or deals or you know, good business or whatever it may be which I have to say was not the case in old style open plan offices and certainly not the case in many of the meeting rooms that I've inhabited, which had terrible acoustics, terrible sound systems, you know, a big video screen on the wall. So what? You couldn't hear what anybody was saying in there because reverb time was like one and a half seconds or something. So, yeah, there's a lot to do, I think. And, and hopefully office designers and architects will take this on and take, you know, rise to the new challenge of creating enhanced environments which are really fantastic to be in and uh, which you know do surprise us and delight us as we walk into them i mean i'm thinking now of um i've seen i've seen office receptions with stunning video displays uh, in america and elsewhere in the world those kind of things i think not everybody can afford but you can do something you know, uh, with, with Mood Sonic, we can do screens of biophilia with um, with scent. You can put, uh, you can scent places and you can have all sorts of fun and interesting and engaging things. So I'm sure that will happen. I don't think it's going to be a great strategy to have a, you know, a boring open plan office uh, with certainly hot desking is dead, isn't it? Uh, you can't yeah. do that now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a boring open plan office where everything's identical and there's no personalization at all and people just come sit at the desk. I don't think that's going to be a flyer, really. No, I don't think so either. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, there are some of us that will rush back because the extroverts amongst us, the people like my wife that just misses all of her friends or will want to rush back and be in whatever environment, in a restaurant, in an office, in anywhere that, that people can communicate. I think both you and I, Julian, are, are more on the introverted side of, of life. And mm -hmm. uh, for me, certainly, it's not been a terrible hardship being stuck in my home office where I normally am anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, be... Well, it's no change of the sound agency. We've not, not really experienced a change because we've been virtual for more than five years now. So uh, we just carried on the same way. Um, well, with rather less plants, unfortunately. <laughs> but hopefully we're yeah. starting to see that come back now. Yeah, I hope you do. Uh, I think you will. One of the things we've been thinking about at Blue Sound Professional is how to control our systems in a in a secure and sterile manner. And one of the things we have done to facilitate this is to, to put in voice control of our systems using Alexa or, or Google Home skill set. That was mm. something we hadn't initially put in because voice controlling a sound system in a crowded bar or a restaurant isn't a great idea because you don't have the environment in which the command can be dissociated from the ambient. So mm. to avoid people getting into trouble from doing that, we didn't incorporate that feature, but we've put mm. it back in because it is a sterile way of, of controlling sound systems. And we advise that people put their voice controller in a back room or something. So they go into the back room to do it. But I know you talk about the rise of voice as a method of communicating with technology. And to me, that's fascinating because that brings back the old skills of, of speaking clearly and also of listening to these intelligent assistants. Do you want to talk a little mm. bit about that? Yes, I only touched on it really in the presentation that um, I did for your video segment. And I think it's a very interesting area. I've been railing for years, ranting and railing for years about the way that keyboards and screens have overtaken the much more powerful to me and much more important communication protocols of speaking and listening. You know, we've got four, speak, listen, read, write. We teach two at school, reading and writing. It's a scandal if a child leaves school able to, unable to read or write. And that's just ridiculous to me that we don't teach speaking skills and we don't teach listening skills at all. So I'm quite cheered 
by the billions, literally billions of dollars, which have been invested in the last few years in speech recognition and voice synthesis. And uh, it's going on a pace. You know, hey Siri, Alexa, hey Google. Well, we're all getting familiar with that stuff. And certainly smart speakers have been selling like hotcakes now for a couple of years. I think they were the US's number one Christmas purchase last year. So we, we're used to that stuff, but they're not that smart, unfortunately. And uh, it is going to get better as the artificial intelligence gets better. Uh, you know, the uh, analogy I always use is Jarvis in Iron Man, where Tony Stark is able to have, you know, a relationship, a conversation with his uh, virtual butler, Jarvis, um, played by Paul Bettany, I think, in a very British way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's going to be with us within five years. Um, the technology is moving on so fast that we will be able to have real human conversations. So the whole idea of all this stuff we have to deal with, the endless filling in of credit card details and uh, pin codes and passwords and addresses and so on and so on and so on. We won't have to do any of that. You know, we will have a a natural conversation where, you know, I'll say, um, hey, Fred, or whatever I call my thing. Uh, hey, Fred, uh, I have to go to, um, you know, France next week. And um, so I'd like to be there by 10 o'clock on Tuesday. Um, so can you book some flights that do that for me and let me know what they are? And by the way, don't forget the car park ticket. And uh, I'd like to see Alphonse for lunch on Wednesday. So can you book that place in the Eiffel Tower? Come on remember what it's called now but it's really good and uh, get me a table by the window please about 12 30 and that's it and then fred will go off and do those things using my credit card and so on and so forth i don't have to do anything else now that to me is so much more natural you know it is unnatural for us to be typing and reading typing and reading all the time to communicate it's become a defense mechanism for a lot of people i know many many kids i've seen lots of research about this that Um, Young people prefer texting. Well, I can understand that if it's a delicate conversation. You know, this is arm's length. You don't have to see the person react in front of you in real time to, um, you know, I don't want to see you anymore or whatever it might be. However, it becomes a kind of addiction. It becomes a habit looking at a screen the whole time. And I think what's happening now with voice is very exciting because we're going to be getting our heads up and actually engaging in the world and being more present. Uh, We might walk about having conversations with people (laughs) who aren't there, obviously. Nevertheless, I do think it's going to be very, very powerful. And the big questions for this to me are who's going to own the gateway? You know, who's going to own my, my Fred? Is it Apple? Is it Amazon? Is it Google? Uh, Or is it going to come from somewhere else? Will I be able to customize it? Will I own it? Or will it be sponsored by somebody? So there's a lot of questions there. And I think the other interesting question is about the technology. You know, I see this technology, it might start with headphones or in-ear devices, much more likely. Ultimately, I'm sure it'll be implanted, embedded in our brains or our skulls, working through bone conduction. So there'll be nothing visible at all. It'll be always on, powered by some sort of, you know, uh, physical activity of us. Well, who's going to be behind that technology? I don't think it's an accident that Apple overpaid dramatically for Dr. Dre. Uh, I think they're all pointing in this direction. There are some companies out there already, which I'm sure will be snapped up in the coming years. And I'm talking about the hearing aid companies who are very good at small devices with lots of technology in them, which understand sound very well and which respond. So that kind of stuff, I think, is going to be at the core of this. That and AI and highly miniaturized components So we will have some sort of augmentation in the coming years with this kind of technology, possibly starting off as a small thing in our ear, where we'll be able to to speak and to listen as we move about with nothing visible going on at all, not carrying anything. So I think it's going to be a fascinating next five years. And I do think we're about to witness an audio revolution, which is quite significant for brands, because brands that don't exist in sound in that world, could cease to exist at all, uh, because we will be interfacing with so much. 
through this mechanism. And as a gatekeeper, my Fred or Jarvis or whatever you want to call it, is the thing you've got to get through. And you're only going to get through that with my permission. So I'll be coming up with a list of brands that I feel good about that can talk to me. And there's going to be a really, really big challenge for brands to get on that list for the people they want to talk to. So the whole, the old branding and marketing process of intrusion uh, will be much more limited, I think, in the future. Unless, of course, there's a deal. So we might have freemium deals going on where you can get the cheap deal with the advertising or you pay a bit more and nobody can talk to you apart from the ones you want. Uh, so I think that's very much the shape of the future. And it's quite an interesting one. It is. One of the things that you touched upon there that I think is really key is this idea of making technology transparent, of which we really haven't done a good job of as a technology industry, of making our interfaces with technology more convenient, not less convenient. I go to the store mm. now and I spend five minutes giving them my details so they can put it in a computer, whereas in the old days, I'd just give them a banknote and <laughs> take my goods. It's also interesting seeing the way that people use technology. So you mentioned texting, and my wife texts a lot, and she uses uh, voice assistance to text. So you'll hear her talking into the phone slowly, clearly, to dictate a message. And I kind of look over and go, so this is sort of like a phone call, but slower. <laughs> I don't really get it, but I think that you know, there, there is, I can't remember who said that true disruption is only properly embraced by the generation after the generation in which it's invented, because that first generation tries to use it in the same way as they used previous technology. But one thing I want to get your opinion on, because I know you and I have strong opinions on this, similar is as the voice, both as, as something that we use and something we listen to, becomes more and more important, do you think that's going to help reverse this trend that we've seen towards lower and lower quality of reproduction, so compressed audio files as well as compressed video files, and people starting to care again about how things sound? Well, for some people, that's definitely happening already. And I've been, you know, I'm a big devotee, as I think you are, of um, HD music services like Cobos and Tidal, which now offer, and is it Pony, the Neil Young thing, uh, which offer, um, you know, music in quality that we could only have imagined a few years ago. And now there's millions of songs and albums and so forth that you can get in 96 or 192 K and 24-bit and so forth, and it sounds wonderful. Well, that's great for a lot of people. Uh, there's also a lot of people buying vinyl who like the old analog style and have a decent turntable, probably. And vinyl records are growing, you know, sales are growing rapidly while CDs have disappeared. However, I have to say, sadly, for the vast bulk of people, they don't care, and uh, they're quite satisfied with 64K MP3 file. Well, that's as maybe. I think the thing that's going to actually lift that a little bit is simply the you know, enormous increases that we're seeing in bandwidth and storage capability. I mean, what's the point in compressing music that much when it costs almost nothing to store it as a WAV or or an AFE or at the very least an AUG or something like that, um, or even a high quality 320 MP3 file? Even services like Spotify are now offering better quality. I mean, they're, they're verging on CD level, which, you know, a lot of people would say is not great quality. So, you know, I don't want to get hung up with the real purists, but I think at the top end, if you want great quality, it's there. You have to pay a bit for it, but it is there. And for the vast majority of people who don't care very much, it's going to be elevated somewhat anyway, simply because it's so cheap to do it and there is no point at all in not doing it, which is a good thing because one of the most depressing surveys I saw in the last 10 years was one that said that teenage listeners preferred the harsh sound of a, a very compressed MP3 to an uncompressed file. They, they kind of liked that edginess in it. And that to me was quite depressing. Um, so I think it would be very nice to get away from delivering that kind of stuff to them. And uh, I mean, the other thing I've always said, and I think you agree with this, too, is if if you're listening to low quality 
music in particular, the tendency is to turn it up. Mm. And uh, that's the only way you can kind of get a feeling of more frequency response is by turning it up. It's more of um, limited, but nevertheless, it's more. And that's just bad for people's hearing because putting 85 or 90 decibels or even 100 decibels deep into your ear canals for hours a day kills your hearing. And Mm -hmm. one in six American college graduates or college students have got damaged hearing now through noise-induced hearing loss. And this is all from headphone abuse. Uh, There's very little teaching about this. There's very little education out there about looking after your ears. And it's a great shame because, as you and I both know, as you get older, your hearing degrades. And so if you start in life with damaged hearing, by the time you get to middle age, you're going to be in big trouble. I mean, mm-hmm. there's uh, tens of millions of Americans who are on that journey right now. So we may have a whole deaf generation coming. And that's got its own implications, really, in terms of communication. Yeah, I think um, the fact that you can't get it back again, you, you, know, you lose it, it's gone. You can't buy another one. You can't buy another set of ears. You only have one. And... Yep. That's, that's true at the moment. I did meet a guy. Yeah. I did a TED <laughs> speak, speech some years ago, and I met a guy who was specializing in uh, stem cell research for the ears, and he was looking at the possibility of regrowing the little hair cells, which are the mm-hmm. ones that get flattened and damaged in your inner ear, in the cochlea. Interesting. Um, so it'd be great if he can do that. It'd be wonderful because he would be able to cure he- uh, deafness uh, or hearing impairment um, almost completely. Mm-hmm. But I have heard nothing more about it. So I'm, no, I imagine I, that's quite a way off. I haven't heard anything about that. And you also mentioned something that I think is a trend in general, which is people's acceptance of what they're familiar with. So people's mm. acceptance of MP3 and compressed music, people's acceptance of strip mall architecture people's acceptance of fast food restaurants or whatever it is and i think it's important that we keep pushing towards the delightful rather than the familiar because that's the way that people can broaden their palates broaden their oral palates broaden their visual palates their taste palates any of the senses is Mm. by by exposure to to the delightful rather than just the familiar. And Mm. and I think Mm. we have a responsibility as an industry and as people who care deeply about, you know, in this case, our our sense of hearing, that we keep pushing, even though sometimes it can seem a rather lonely task. I agree with that. I mean, if you think about sculpture, for example, you know, a big reason for public art like that public fountains like in the Piazza Navona in Rome or wherever, you know, you've got Bernini on display for everybody. And the idea of that is to elevate everybody's life experience a little bit Mm -hmm. and to show you what's possible, you know, give you a hint of amazing beauty and extraordinary skill and passion and so forth. It's not so much the case with oral uh, experiences. I mean, you go to a concert because you know you're going to enjoy it or you think you're going to enjoy it. So we don't walk around having delightful oral experiences that often, except those that nature affords us, which are free. But uh, there aren't that many kind of audio installations that w- which make you go, wow, I never knew sound could be like that. Although, um, well, maybe we can in the future. Fountains, of course, were to a degree that. I mean, there, a lot of the reason for fountains is to listen to them, not so much mm-hmm. to look at them. It's to hear the sound of water and purity and have those associations, especially in hot places. But uh, nevertheless, I think that's an interesting question. And and it's something we're very conscious of at the Sound Agency is creating beautiful sonic experiences, which may not be front and centre in people's mind. You know, we're more often we're creating things which are more at the level of white walls in a room. You know, you don't go in and say, wow, look at those white walls. But they're just doing a really nice job to make you feel the room is clean, comfortable, you know, well looked after, and so forth. And a lot of the sound that we install in ambient locations is is like that. It's designed to create a just a nice feeling for people. They won't necessarily know why they feel relaxed or energized or happy or whatever it might be. But we can do all of those things, uh, not necessarily at the same time, relaxed and energized at once. <laughs> no. Yeah. The, um, so I wonder whether the people it would just occur to me as you were talking 
Did people put fountains and piazzas as a really early form of sound masking to allow people privacy in public spaces? Well, that's a very good question because the sound of running water is an extremely good masking sound. And uh, the reason for that is that it tends to wipe out sibilance. So it's s and t and some of the plosives as well. And it's very difficult to understand somebody speaking if you can't hear any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so just imagine you're standing next to somebody and the, and you're both standing next to a waterfall. It's quite hard to understand what they're saying. They have to shout quite loud. Yeah. So it's a very good masking sound. It's broadband, much like uh, the way that, you know, the rather nasty mechanical masking sound like white noise or filtered pink noise or brown noise is used in office locations. It's broadband, so it does a decent job in masking mm-hmm. those, particularly those sibilants at the high end and stopping us from understanding. So I don't know, maybe maybe they were a security device uh, bending these fountains. Um, privacy, but, yeah. uh, I, yes, I tend to think um, probably in the main, they, they were there to just to spread a little joy, a bit of largesse from the, the ruling elite to <laughs> everybody to spread sure. a little bit of joy and aesthetic understanding. So something else you you said there, uh, which which really resonated with me, was the idea of of what you do creating a um, like white wall, a blank canvas, and and certainly working in the equipment side of the industry. I've seen so many people just put in sound systems in offices that are like rock and roll PA systems, rather than just this concept of a perfect sound reinforcement system in a large room allows you mm. to hear the person at the other end of the table at the same volume as if they were one meter away from you. No louder. Mm. It shouldn't, shouldn't mm. be like rock and roll. And that leads me on to something that I experienced at ISE this year, the, the trade show in Amsterdam, just before we all locked down. I went to uh, the, the room that Mood Sonic had in, in the center of Amsterdam to listen to the biophilic sound masking. And mm. it, it completely surprised me. Uh, it wasn't at all like I was expecting, because I think of the concept of sound masking as similar to that of jet engines, where you kind of put a steady state noise to completely cover the ambient. So your ears take it completely out and it sounds silent. Mm. Whereas what you were actually doing was not completely covering the speech but just masking it with natural sound. So as you mentioned, you did you lost some of the sibilance and some of the ability to discern the words. It was still there as a noise, but it wasn't distracting. That was doesn't it doesn't doesn't take much actually. You don't have to wipe it out altogether because you know your brain doesn't necessarily want to pay attention to those things. In fact, it's very irritating if you're trying to work and somebody's talking behind you and you can hear everything they're saying. So, uh, you know, you're, you're making an effort not to listen to them in a way. Uh, so we can just help that by blurring it mm-hmm. and creating enough fuzziness there that you can quite easily ignore the sense. That's all that's required. It's not the sound itself that's so distracting. It's the words. The most distracting sound of all other people's conversation, unwanted conversation, because we're programmed to decode it. So, yes, I think uh, that's a very interesting experience you had there. And um, certainly we're not aiming to drown out all other sounds that would have to be quite loud and not very pleasant. Yeah, it was it was really a surprise to me and a delightful surprise. And, you know, I really hope that that becomes more normal um, as we as people go back into offices, that becomes more normal, that mm. people can not be assailed by high volumes of white and pink noise, but just gently masked by natural sounds. That's, that seems like a delightful experience to me rather than an intrusive, stressful experience to me. Well, I'm so, glad to hear you say so. And it, it's not just background, you know. I mean, I've lost count of the number of corporate receptions, for example, where I've walked in to a big company and uh, gone up and announced myself and been given a little ticket or something and gone and sit down and what do I hear what do I see at Sky News or BBC News 24 or CBS News or whatever it might be wherever you are Fox News I don't know um, on a big screen in reception with the speakers on and I you know news is not good 
generally, is it? We have an obsession with bad news. So why people think that sitting there listening to bad news is going to put me in the great mood for good meetings, I do not know. It's a great opportunity for that company to say something to me about its brand, its character, its personality, and to delight me with some sort of engaging experience. Not a cuckoo brand, some other TV or you know some TV network where there may well be ads from competing companies being shown. Uh, I mean, that, that is real cuckoo stuff, isn't it? So that's always baffled me. And I, I think there are great opportunities to, uh, you know, if, if, if anybody's listening to this and going, well, how do I start to think about sound in my business? The answer is go through your customer's journeys with your eyes shut. You know, get somebody to lead you around if need be a physical journey. I mean, you know, might be talking about going into your building, going in up to reception, going up in the elevators, going to the meeting room, having the video conference. Shut your eyes and listen to the sound and ask yourself, is this actually delivering us? Is this the quality of experience that we stand for? Is this how we want our customers to perceive us? And, you know, if you're running a shopping mall, Walk around and maybe you'll hear that music going and you can't hear what song it is. And you think, what is that? It's Uh fast paced music that's speeding people up. They're going to leave faster. It's poor quality music. It's stressing people. They're going to get fatigued. You know, all of these things you can think about. You can listen to the overspill and the, the stuff coming out of innumerable tenants in a shopping mall, for example, who've got sort of nightclub sound systems pointing out from their doors and are polluting the whole place for many meters around. Is there anything in your tenant contracts which says noise must be no louder than 65 decibels at the threshold of the demise? No loudspeakers pointing out. No Mm -hmm. loudspeakers within two meters of the door. These kind of things. We've advised so many malls over the years to do these things. It's amazing how many of them had not thought about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've got recordings in shopping malls where I'm standing and there are like four of those different stores around me, each broadcasting music at high level. And I'm in the middle of four songs at the same time clashing and not to mention the rest of the sound going on. It is just sure. cacophonous and awful, awful, awful. So That's- close your eyes and listen to your business. Yeah, I was lucky enough to, in my previous work, you came in and audited our offices. And um, one of the things that was interesting to me there was your comments afterwards about it being too quiet. And in yeah. the video presentation, in our video series, you mentioned this this kind of window that mm. between what is too quiet and what is too loud. And as well as the experiences you have in hotel, in uh, office lobbies where they've got TV on and things, I've frequently had experiences where I'm having a meeting with someone in a dead silent space. And you're Mm. trying to keep your voice down because you feel exposed. You feel like you don't want everyone to hear the information you're you're saying. Absolutely. And you have that in offices, in lobbies, or in public spaces in offices. You have it in some hotel lobbies, and you also have it in restaurants. So, Mm. for example, you go there for a date or something, and you're the only people in there, and it's just so embarrassing. Well, you know, there's a very interesting concept here, Graham. Um, There's a wonderful book uh, called Noise by a guy called Bart Costco, who I've interviewed a couple of times, did a TED Talk about it too. And in there, he talks about, uh, I think the phrase is something like uh, stochastic resonance or something. I can't remember. It's a technical phrase. A little bit of noise in a system, in engineering, electronics, acoustics, and various other things is a good thing. We use it in, uh, in audio. It's called dithering, where you add a little bit of noise to a signal so that you can, you're raising the whole level of the signal and you can perceive what's going on far better. And just in the same way, if you're in an office which is pin quiet, and I've been in offices where, you know, the turning of a piece of paper is a major event. Mm -hmm. People tut if you clear your throat, that kind of thing going on. Well, that's too quiet because if I take a phone call in that office and there are 20 people sitting around, how many people am I putting off? All of them immediately. Not to mention it's highly intimidating for me. You know, it's the old, hello, mum, can I call you back? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Everybody's listening to my every word. And 
of course, yes, we need some sort of comfort level in there. And uh, I talk about roughly 45 to 55 decibels. It needs to be stochastic. Um, office babble is stochastic is a sound that's comprised of lots of individual events, but they're random and there's enough of them to create a pleasing wash. So a good example of that would be rainfall as opposed to a dripping tap. Now, yeah. most people find rainfall, I mean, not monsoon rain necessarily, but gentle rain. Most people find that a pleasing sound. A dripping tap, on the other hand, will drive you nuts in very short order uh, because it's inconsistent. It's irregular. Uh, you can't predict when it's going to. It's like a, a banging door in a, in, a, in a room which bangs every few minutes. And, you know, by the end of the day, you're ready to murder the next person who comes through the door. Um, so ir irregularity, lack of control. And also associations and speech, those are things which make noise really, really distracting. And mm -hmm. if we can put some stochastic, a nice wash, birdsong is good, natural sound is good, running water is good, for these reasons, then what we do is mask the little sounds that could really irritate us and create a comfortable feeling with a bit of privacy, or if you're in America, privacy. <laughs> uh, which is really, really important. And, you know, we also have to pay attention to acoustics because, I mean, you've probably been in these meeting rooms where they have a, a sort of gauze curtain across the front of the meeting room. and They draw it as if that's creating immaculate privacy and this is some sort of magic gauze that's going to stop the sound going through. I don't think so, because I can still hear all the people outside talking and that means they can hear every word that we're saying inside. So, you know, if you're giving somebody a pay rise or uh, letting somebody go or having a, a, a reprimand conversation, it's not going to work very well in that environment. Anything which requires privacy really does need serious attenuation. You know, there are measures of this in decibels. You need 30 or 40 decibels between you and the next space of attenuation in order to create privacy. Uh, so inside of an open plan office of course that's not possible so we're into you know i'm sure evan benway will talk to you about this in due course so there are um, spheres or uh, circles of uh, interference or distraction from people around you and the, the key is to get that circle to be as small as reasonably possible so i'm not being put off by people 25 meters away because i can hear every word they're saying um, so yeah it's it's a complex calculation um, mm -hmm. But uh, people always think I'm totally pro-silence and anti-noise. Well, no, not really. Noise can be quite useful, the right kind of noise in the right place at the right time. Just not uncontrolled, horrible noise, please. Yeah, it was it was surprising to me, actually, because I hadn't really even thought about it when you came into our offices and you said, this is just too quiet. Mm. And and as I say, when I, when I heard that uh, sound masking in Amsterdam, it was a really interesting and informative to me demonstration of how that works i think something that you mentioned there and you also mentioned in the video part of this presentation is the equipment that the people that are listening many of whom are uh, av integrators our industry is totally fixated by the equipment the sound systems mm. and i work mm. for a sound system manufacturer but it's only one of four things acoustics get them right, minimize noise, put in mm. a sound system that's appropriate and feed it with the right content. Exactly. And, and you've been saying this for years and it was really enlightening to me that you know, we focus on 25% of that, the other 75%, and it's only the third one in the list. You've got to get the first two right before you even think about the sound equipment. Well, definitely. I don't. I mean, you, it's very hard. You know this. It's very hard to make good sound in a room with poor acoustics. Um, our friend Simon Honeywell will know that from all the gigs he's created wonderful sound for. But you have a terrible hall with lousy acoustics. So we try and get good sound in the O2 in London for a big gig. Well, just not possible, in my humble opinion. I've been there several times and nobody's ever achieved it yet. So with the best sound system in the world, you're very compromised if you're going in with bad acoustics and lots of noise going on. Having said that, I am very excited about the advances that are happening in loudspeaker technology, in the aesthetics of the speakers, in the way that we can even individually address speakers like you can, which means that 
some of the biggest things that we come across in the sand agency, which are really irritating, should not be happening in the future, like one zone for an entire large building. I mean, we have gone into so many shopping malls where it's one zone. And you think, well, how can you possibly do that? I mean, you want to have the same sound in the toilets. Well, that's if they have speakers in the toilets, which often they wouldn't. And we've done wonderful things with sound in toilets, believe it or not. Put customer satisfaction for BP customers up 50% with sound in service station toilets. So, you know, in the most surprising places, you would want to have a zone for the toilets, a zone for the doorways, a zone for, you know, this area where there are younger shops and a zone for that area where there are perhaps older shops, you know, different demographic or whatever, different sound in the car parks, perhaps, which can be very, very scary places, especially in the evening if you're not um, being, if you're in there on your own and it's dark or, you know, it's all concrete and it's hard. So some lovely human sound. I always think yep. things like solo acoustic guitar, solo piano. It feels like somebody's in there with you, something warm and comforting. It tends to take the edge off a place like that. Sure. So zoning is so important. And, you know, typically when we go into car parks, for example, we get those, you know, those old Tannoy horn loudspeakers, which are yep. there just to go... <laughs> they're not very good when you're playing Michael Jackson through them or something, which is often what they're doing there for some unknown reason. So, um, yeah, I think that there are great advances happening. And, that you know, to be honest, there is no excuse now for having badly designed sound in any space whatsoever. None. No, you're right. And and I think you you brought up some interesting points earlier on about hard surfaces and cleaning surfaces and perspex and you know they, they, there's the architectural fashion towards hard hard surface materials concrete glass steel and now there's there's going to be the cleanliness thing and we do have the technology now with beam forming for microphones and beam steering for loudspeakers to play the sound where it's needed not bound, not excite the whole reverberant space of the room and as an industry, it's going to be important for us to deploy that in ways that allow us, even in these hard spaces, to create you know, good sounding environments. And we have those now in, in even the Alexa speakers and the Google Home speakers. They're all using beamforming microphones. So this technology mm. has filtered down now to mass market devices. It's no longer esoteric. Mm. Absolutely, and we're going to see further things happen. Sorry, go on. I'm I'm interested to hear this. It's no, no, it's, no. It's I was going to change the subject, so keep going. Oh well, I was I was simply going to say that yes, I think that's that's all absolutely true. The same goes with wearable technology. You know, I saw somebody the other day claiming they've invented some sort of window system in Japan. I think it was, uh, which effectively does noise cam noise cancellation without having to wear headphones. In other words, it stops sound from outside coming into a room when, when the window is open. Well, I believe that when I hear it, uh, because I've always understood that noise cancellation requires a constant distance between the ear and the, the speakers cancelling the sound. Otherwise, you can phase double just as easy as you can phase invert. Sorry, it's getting a bit technical. But, um, well, maybe they have. And... You know, the most common question I got asked for years at the sound agency was, is there a sound curtain that we can put in between spaces so that, mm -hmm. you know, we can stop hearing somebody over there? And the answer until now has been no. Maybe these people have cracked it. I'll be amazed if they have, because, you know, sound is just air molecules bumping into each other. And I don't see how you can stop them from moving across a space like that. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm. I'm agog to see the, you know, the things that you guys are coming up with in the coming years, the things that other people, you know, Shaw's beam steered, the, not beam steered, is it? The microphones that they've beam created. Beam forming mics, the, yeah, the ceiling beam mics. Beam forming yeah. mics. I mean, it's, it's like magic, isn't it? You sit around a table, one person speaks over there, and the mic picks him or her up immediately. It's so clever, and I'm yep. sure there's more to come from and, and that's even in your your Alexa and your Google Home. They use beamforming mics in the same way. And some people sure aren't doing it yet, but some people are doing moving, tracking microphones. So, for example, Sennheiser and Biamp both do ones that the, the mics actually move as you move, so they follow you. 
Um, well, fantastic. And just simple things as well, just to finish this little technical mm-hmm. sector, the simple things like bringing the blooming loudspeakers down to ear level, for goodness sake, in airports and train stations and places like that. So instead of hearing from 50 metres up in a glass ceiling, you're actually hearing you know, a line array that's hidden away somewhere. You can't even see it and it's at ear level and you can hear every word that they're saying. Marvellous. Yep. Before we go, I, I I want to ask you about a film that you appeared in that I think is still streaming for free. And I can't remember. Is it called The Sound of Silence? It's called In Pursuit of Silence. And it's a wonderful film that was made by a guy called Patrick Shen. It's nothing to do. There was a book called In Pursuit of Silence by a guy called George Prochnik, uh, who I also interviewed for a podcast years ago. Very nice guy. They're not related except in their kind of spiritual direction yes patrick's film was marvelous and i was very honored to appear in it it's well worth seeing and i think i don't know if they still are but at the beginning of the pandemic they were streaming it free of charge and i watched it then okay it's really really worthwhile watching let me also recommend one of the things i've always enjoyed that evelyn glennie made which is um touch the sound it's called it's a marvelous dvd which is again about the experience of listening and about how important it is to pay attention through your ears. So both of those two things are great ways to start your journey of listening more consciously and acutely. I think you should probably, some of the some of our listeners may not be aware of who Evelyn Glennie is and why she's so important. So do you want to fill in a bit well, of very, the background? Absolutely, yes. Had the honour of meeting her, an amazing woman, Dame Evelyn Glennie, which is the equivalent for a female of Sir in the UK. A percussionist who has traveled the world playing with the world's great symphony orchestras has had numerous percussion pieces written for her, who is deaf. And she learned to hear through her whole body as a, as a small child. She had an enlightened teacher who had her put her hand on a timpani and feel the vibration. And she learned from that more and more and more. So although she's profoundly deaf, she plays in bare feet. She can hear through her entire body, which you and I are doing right now, of course. The ears just happen to be the focal point for it. We're hearing with every cell in our body. Uh, She has just learned to do that without the ears, which is an incredible feat. And uh, she's got a great TED Talk as well, uh, which is about listening. I do recommend that to everybody. But uh, yes, that DVD is terrific. Touch the sound. She's remarkable. So any last things that you'd like to talk about before we we close out? I think just to give a tip to everybody uh, listening to two things I'd ask that you do. One is after this, when you go back to your family, listen to somebody. That means actually look at them, put everything down, pay attention and give them 100% of your attention. You'll probably find they say something like, what are you doing? because we're not used to that. We're used to people, you know, yeah, I am listening when I'm tapping away on a phone or something. That's not actually listening. That's doing something else at the same time. Scott Peck said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. And I agree with that. So that's one request. And the other request is to become conscious that when you're listening, you're doing something. It's not like hearing. Hearing is a capability. It's a like you know, it's, it's a natural reflex, really. It's like your heart beating or breathing. It happens. You hear everything. You listen in your head. It's a mental activity. And it is about selecting things to pay attention to and then ascribing meaning to them. So the moment you start to understand that when you're listening, you're doing something, you're practicing a skill. It's a skill. You can improve it. You can practice it. You can learn how to do it better. You can't do that unless you're conscious that you're doing it. So my biggest request to everybody listening to this is to become conscious that listening is a skill and that you're doing something when you're listening. And that really can change everything. Thanks so much, Julian. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, well, there's the Sound Agency's website, uh, which is thesoundagency.com. And separate to that, there's also a website for Mood Sonic, which has got lots of wonderful stuff on it now, moodsonic.com. And then there's my own website, juliantreasure.com, where if you go along and pop your email address in, we'll send you free of charge five little videos from me, which were all about improving your listening skills, five little exercises to improve listening. 
So that's a good thing to do as well. But all three of those places are full of fun and interesting stuff about sound and so forth. So check them all out. Yeah, I highly encourage people to do that. They're great resources. Thank you so much, Julian. It's been a pleasure, as always, talking to you. Please, anyone who's just been on this audio podcast and is interested in what we were talking about, please look at our video podcast where Julian gives a fantastic presentation on sound and what he does and why it's so important. Thank you so much for your time, everyone. Please come back and listen to more episodes of Surroundscapes. And above all, thank you again, Julian. Thanks for having me, Graham. It's been lots of fun. Thank you. <laughs>